they get to do part of the cooking, when they have ownership of the meal, that can really eliminate a lot of the problems. Having them involved makes them very proud of the meal and they are excited to eat it and to share it with people that they love. Welcome to the Frugal Fit Mom podcast. This is Christine, your host. I'm very excited about today's topic and I brought an expert with me today. So before we get going into it, I didn't want to mention that today's episode is brought to you by my Frugal Family Mini Cookbook. It is 20 of my family's favorite recipes, kid tested, kid approved. It's only a couple of dollars available on my website, frugalfitmom.com slash shop. Okay, so for my expert today, my expert witness, I have brought my husband, Dave. The reason being he is the leading solution-based person for picky eaters in the family because he's a reformed picky eater himself. I was going to say, I was your first patient. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Dave was the first patient. And this topic was actually his idea because I get asked this question all the time on Instagram, on YouTube. How do I deal with picky kids? How do I deal with a picky spouse? So I think that this is something that Dave and I definitely need to tackle together today. So let's talk about picky partners first. Okay. Okay. We're not doing kids first because from the day we got married, you presented quite the challenge. <laughs> I, you're saying I was the challenge. Yes. You were definitely the challenge because I was, okay, let's back up a little bit. I think it's important to note that, uh, when you come together with a partner, you get married, you start a family with someone, um, you start a new family with someone that you have you are bringing your past baggage to the relationship and you have to deal with it. Dave's family had a certain way of eating. My family had a different way of eating. And when you bring those together, sometimes they collide. This is just another aspect of all marriages, right? All mm -hmm. family unions. Yes. Everybody brings something different to the table and you got to figure out how to make the two things merge. But eating habits is one I think that's quite often overlooked. I, I agree. And I think it can cause a lot of fights, resentment, uh, frustration. Did I mention fights? <laughs> <laughs> we had a few. <laughs> Can you please tell the story of the Cobb salad? Okay. Well, that one's easy because it was early, early in our marriage. Oh yeah. Months. Not even months, maybe weeks, weeks into the marriage. So I grew up in a family that ate a lot of vegetables and a wide variety of foods. And we didn't have a lot of money at this time. So Dave's like, what are we having for dinner tonight? And I do enjoy cooking, so it's not a big deal for me to make the dinners. And I'm like, oh, we're having a Cobb salad. He threw a hissy fit <laughs> that would have made a two-year-old proud. I was, a pretty, I was a pretty big jerk. Yeah, you were a big fat baby. I basically said to you, well, so what's for dinner? Yeah, but uh, what's actually for dinner? What, what are we actually going to eat besides lettuce? Yeah, his reaction probably wasn't ideal. <laughs> it was very ungrateful and very challenging. And... I, now I can't remember exactly the tone I used, but I bet it was extremely patient. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's probably incorrect. The truth is I'm very stubborn also. And when someone comes at me with snark and like a mean spirited attitude, I will snark right back at you. You basically go, <laughs> I mean, in your own head, you said challenge accepted. Yeah, exactly. But to me, you were like, well, this is what's for dinner. Take it or leave it, buddy. That is basically what I said yeah. from day one. And I was like, this is what we're having. And if you're going to be a brat, you can make your own dinner. Yeah. And so from the beginning, I was like, you will not 
treat me badly when I'm doing something nice for you. So I would say I set an expectation very, very early on. Now I'm not saying my way is the best method of doing it because I was a little snarky. You were a little snarky at the time, but here's how that ended up. I made this freaking amazing salad, by the way, it was <laughs> loaded with like vegetables, marinated grilled chicken, bacon, cheese, hard boiled eggs, croutons. It was so big and delicious. Dave didn't even finish his plate. I had a he, hard time. It was really big plate. It was big. He was stuffed and he liked it. So was it in that moment that you were like, okay, maybe I should not be so judgmental about dinner. Yes. But it was also definitions, right? For me, what us in my family, a salad <laughs> was lettuce and ranch. It was iceberg lettuce and ranch. That Maybe croutons true. if we were going fancy one night. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, taking it up a notch with the croutons. So the definitions were really important here because your idea of a salad and my idea of a salad were totally two different things. Right. I love your salads. Yeah, because they're awesome. <laughs> they're really good. Okay, so coming from the perspective of, of an adult who has a specific way of the way that you want to eat food, what would you say would have been a good approach for me trying to broaden your horizons or because obviously we had the salad fight. Okay. What are some things I've done right over the years? <laughs> I think one of the strategies you use the most, the best is to reintroduce foods over and over. You cook them multiple ways, right? Try a variety style of preparation, a variety of preparation styles. Mm -hmm. uh, but the reintroduction is like, like this is not going away. We're going to eat this one way or another, but it gives me and the kids opportunities to try it in different ways and find out which ways we really like it. Yeah. That is a proven technique to offer things many, 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 many times and in different ways. I can think of a few prime examples of things that you would not touch early in the marriage. And then 19 years in you're, you happily dig in green beans is one of them. You would not touch green beans for, it was years, years. Yeah, I did not like green beans. So what changed on the green beans? It might've been a green bean casserole. <laughs> That's really odd. I know. Well, it was either that, or there was one day that you cooked it with like bacon and salt and pepper. It was so good. Maybe there was one day that it was roasted in the oven. Heavily seasoned. Probably. Heavily seasoned. Mm -hmm. Right. So let me just get over the texture and the other, and the other things that I didn't like. Yeah. Another one is carrots. You have been such a butt about carrots. Carrots in a, in a stew would ruin it. Carrots in a salad ruins it. But it was when I roasted them in the air fryer. That was recent. Yeah. That was, that changed everything. I was like, man, those are good. Yeah. And now he requests like carrot fries in the air fryer, which to me, I was like, who is this guy? What's going on? I also think part of feeding a picky eater is to give multiple options at each meal. So if he hates mushrooms and cucumbers and green beans and carrots, that's, and those are my only side dish options. That seems really selfish and inconsiderate, right? So instead, you know, maybe we do like a grilled chicken, like a barbecue chicken, and there would be mashed potatoes and there would be corn because he loves corn. And there would be a really beautiful salad with all these different components and green beans. Yeah. So he could eat like one or not, but he still eat dinner. You know, another strategy that you've used with me that's worked and I think work with kids sometimes as well is I like it when my vegetables are cut smaller. Mm -hmm. The mini veg. Yeah. 
when they're big and chunky, sometimes it just does not go well with me. Like I just, it just takes too much. The mini veg is like a recent, not recent, but a recent proven technique. So my kids had a hard time eating asparagus. As an example, you cook the long spears. They're hard to fork. They're hard to bite. Uh, but I cook asparagus really well. All my kids like it. And I've since learned that cutting it into like one inch or half inch is even better. Small pieces before you do all your cooking. Ditto Brussels sprouts, ditto green beans, ditto broccoli, cauliflower, pick your vegetable. It's just easier to fork, to spoon, to eat. And the seasoning encompasses the entire food instead of just being on the surface. And then you might have to deal with the texture you're uncomfortable with. Yeah. That size really lowers the barrier for entry, I guess. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I think that's totally true. Okay. So we have offering something multiple times, variety of preparations, giving multiple options at each meal. So it's not just a whole plate of stuff you don't like and size of the food that they're maybe uncomfortable with. Uh, is there something else? We talked about it when you were talking about the different uh, methods of preparation, mm -hmm. but in there is also seasoning. Seasoning matters. Yes. Yes, it does. And good seasoning goes a long way. Yes, it does. It's, it's really shocking. I made uh, just like a cooked chicken breast and literally all I did was salt and pepper and I cooked it in butter in a cast iron pan. That is all I did. And you raped and the kids raped. Oh my gosh. What did you do to this chicken? Literally almost nothing. Very, very basic ingredients, very simple seasoning. You just do it right and it will blow your mind. And I think one thing that I didn't understand a long time ago was, man, it feels like such a sin sometimes to put a lot of butter on some of these vegetables. But sometimes if that's what it takes to get somebody to like it, mm -hmm. you got to start somewhere, right? So you don't necessarily have to start at, it's got to be a whole vegetable with no fat or it's nothing at all. That's too black and white, and it's probably not the best way to start. So you're saying going from this way of eating to an extreme variation is too big of a jump. you got to take smaller steps. Exactly. There. I think that is brilliant because there's, <laughs> there's this girl I know, and she loves a vegan Indian food, if I remember correctly. And she really rags on, I'm going to say cheap processed American food like white wonder bread and hot dogs. Like she really, really doesn't want to feed that to her family at all. She's got five kids, she's married and she refuses to feed that type of things to her family. So instead she wants like vegan Indian food, but it's such a jump from kind of what her kids want. They want pizza and burgers. Cause what kids don't, <laughs> I like pizza and burgers that the, the step is too big. Mm -hmm. There's a, there's a wide range of foods in between Indian vegan and, and Wonder Bread and hot dogs. It's kind of like asking someone to run a marathon when they're still sitting on the couch. Right. Yeah. It's just, it's too big. So smaller steps, I think would go a super long way. And E.C. Sinkowski in her podcast with Patrick. Patrick Cummings, she actually mentions that, you know, if, the, if your kids only want to eat apples with peanut butter, let them start there. Let them be with apples and peanut butter. At least they're eating apples, mm -hmm. right? If you're really trying to get people to eat fruits and vegetables, whole fruits and vegetables, you got to start somewhere. And even if that means dressing it up a little bit, you let them dress it up. Somewhere right. down the road, they will continue to eat and try new things, but at least they know they like that particular vegetable. Correct. I think we've covered some great tips for helping a partner who is picky 
take steps in the right direction. Can you think of anything else that could be super valuable? I mean, I could tell stories all day about the times you were a butt when I was trying to cook you something. I will add a disclaimer here. Sometimes the food is so atrocious that there is literally nothing you can do. So I think on some level, it's important to note that you have to respect their taste profile might be different than yours. And that is okay. For example, I believe that olives are the most vile food ever created. I knew olives would come up. And Dave loves olives. I don't know why you would like an olive and you have a hard time with the carrot. Like it doesn't make any sense to me because olives are so gross to me. Do not give me an olive. I will not eat it. Like it just won't happen. So he has to respect that. I really don't like them. And I have to respect that he will never eat tuna. No matter how I prepare it, he will not eat canned tuna. It won't work. It smells so terrible. It does smell terrible. <laughs> it's, but I can eat it. He'll eat a tuna steak, a fresh, fresh tuna, but canned tuna. I have tried feeding him in probably five to 10 different variations. And he is to his credit. He has tried it and he has not liked it in any variation. So I think that's important to note. You know, they just might have different tastes than you in some things. I want to add, you never shamed me for not liking your food. You just took it as a challenge. <laughs> Right. But, but no, that's really important. I think, as funny as it might sound like you never like just made me feel like I was the worst thing on the planet earth because I didn't like a certain food. You just reintroduced it to me or you told me that's what's for dinner. <laughs> yeah. Right. It was like my way or the highway, but you didn't shame me into it. And I don't know that that would get you anywhere. Oh, you think shaming someone would not get them anywhere. I would, I would agree with that. I yeah. don't think that's helpful at all. But we'll talk about this as we move into dealing with children also. But I have always been pretty good at saying, this is my boundary and you're not going to bully me. Yeah. I definitely said to him and to my kids, this is for dinner. Like I don't make second dinners. I don't make third. I don't make multiple options for the family. I don't. This is what is for dinner. And you're not going to disrespect me when I took the time to do something nice for you. So with that being said, let's move into dealing with picky kids. Bum, bum, bum. Oh, kids. So here, I, maybe I'll just start here. You've used a lot of the same strategies on the kids that you've used on me. Yes. There's one strategy you didn't use on me that you have used with the kids. Okay. And that's you give them one or two spoonfuls, mm -hmm. very, very small amount and say, you at least have to try this one thing. Mm -hmm. And it's not much. It's a spoonful here, a spoonful there. Right. right. You never treated me like that. I think that is something that it would be patronizing to an adult. Yes. I think for a kid, I think it works well. It says, guys, this is what's for dinner. I expect that you're going to eat one bite of this particular salad or whatever it is. Right. Yeah. That is something that I did a lot is, you know, make the meal. I would leave the meal separated out if that makes sense. Like I wouldn't mush if it was like a bean and rice bowl with something or else I'd leave it all separate and kind of let them build their own with the ingredients that they liked. But if there was something new and they would be like, what's that? Which my kids have all done. I would always make them taste it one bite. I'm like, you don't have to eat it. You don't have to put it on your plate, but you don't even know what it is. Like, you don't know if you like it or not. So they would always have to try it. That is something I did. And I do want to point out, there's probably a misconception that my kids are not picky because in my videos and things, it, it does seem like they eat everything. And today, now that they're teenagers, they do almost eat everything. That's true. But when they were kids, toddlers, particularly 
they were just as picky as any other kid. Andrew didn't eat dinner, I swear, for like two years. It felt that way. And there were times when Tyler, Tyler had a speech delay, so he did not speak well at all until he was closer to five. So even when he hated it, he couldn't communicate that he hated it. And there were some worried parent moments, the fact that he wasn't eating anything at all. And so that was extremely challenging. Definitely. Isn't it amazing how those times just go, they melt away. Like sometimes I don't remember them well. Yeah. It's, it's been so long since we've dealt with that, that I did have to sit and think, oh yeah, they were picky when they were young feeding an 18 month old. Every mealtime was a crisis because I'm like, oh my gosh, what am I going to feed them? That's not the same peanut butter sandwich and banana. Cause that's all they'll eat for five months. Right. Are they going to turn into a banana? <laughs> I remember saving Andrew's dinner because he would not eat dinner. I would tell him either you eat it for dinner or you eat it for breakfast. And I can't remember how many nights we would have that conversation and then we'd end up saving it and he would, like we would reheat it in the microwave. That only happened twice. It, yes. But I'm just saying like, we would have that conversation with him all yes. the time. Yeah. We would threaten it over and over because it just felt like it would never end. Andrew was interesting. He was about five and he just, he hated meat. Yeah. The texture, it was the texture of meat. He really hated it. And <laughs> he loved breakfast. So he would just not eat dinner. And then at breakfast, he would eat the amount of 10 breakfasts. <laughs> and so we saw through that very quickly. <laughs> so it really only took twice where it was like, you don't have to eat it if you're not hungry. Cause he pulled it. I'm not hungry. And I'd be like, no problem. And it was having lasagna for breakfast that he was like, okay, this is not fun. I will just eat my dinner the night before. Dude, those nights were so not fun. No, they weren't fun at all. As parents, they weren't. But something that we did, I think worked in the long run, is that we did create this boundary or expectation for the kids. The kids knew this is what was for dinner. We were not making chick nugs <laughs> and mac and cheese just because they wanted it. It wasn't going to be ramen because they didn't like the fajitas. Like It's not like I was serving them gross food. It was new and they wanted to, they wanted to test the boundaries. That's what kids do. And, and they do have to try things a lot of times, a lot to actually like it. So we just said, this is for dinner and we would give them a regular portion. It's not like we were over serving them. And it really only happened with Andrew. <laughs> well, if you don't, if you're not hungry at dinner, we'll just give it to you at breakfast. It's no big deal. You'll have it tomorrow. So we did that with Andrew a few times, but most of the kids typically would eat it. Uh, something else that does work for kids is to have them be involved in the whole cooking process. They pick a recipe, they go shopping with you and they get to pick out the ingredients from the list. They get to do part of the cooking. When they have ownership of the meal, that can really eliminate a lot of the problems. I have found that to be the case with all the kids. Having them involved makes them very proud of the meal and they are excited to eat it and to share it with the people that they love. I love that you've done that as well because you've actually passed along your love for cooking with them. Mm -hmm. And even though they're not cooking yet, I think they'll remember those times with you. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, there's multiple benefits, but that I think has been a powerhouse strategy. Yeah. And this is going to sound dumb maybe, but <laughs> there's a lot of adults who are uncomfortable with cooking in general. And when you are uncomfortable in the kitchen and you don't have confidence in what you're doing, I think the kids can kind of pick up on that a little bit. So I'll give you an example. There's this, a girl I know who is a self-proclaimed, not a cook. They were at our house for dinner 
And she was telling me, don't serve my kids very much. They just don't eat very much. It was kind of the same thing. She just wasn't confident in the dinners. And so I think the kids would eat a lot of breakfast and a lot of lunch and then like kind of skip dinner at her house. And I made the nothing soup that night uh, with some homemade crusty no-need bread. The nothing soup, you guys, is amazing. It's so good. It is so good. And I was like, okay, if you don't, if you think your kids aren't going to eat that much, the kids all ate three bowls each of this soup. And she was so shocked. And what we learned, I talked to her after, and what we learned is kids will eat food if it's really good. <laughs> if it's super, super tasty, they will eat it. So as the adult, I think it's good to have like one to five recipes that are your fallbacks, that are your go-tos, that you are very confident that this meal is freaking delicious. And they're probably going to eat it. It was so funny because that family was a little timid about eating at our house in general because they, yes. they were like, Christine cooks some pretty gourmet things that kids don't like. Yeah, food. This is food kids don't like yeah. is what they thought, yes. They labeled it as that, but they, they when the kids got a chance to try it, they loved it. They did love it. Yeah, absolutely. And, and honestly, that was just a soup. It, it's not fancy. It's just, we call it the nothing soup because it's just very it's pureed. not fancy. It's pureed beans and garlic. And, and sage. Say, and yeah, it's so good. There's almost no ingredients. Why is it so good? <laughs> <laughs> Talk about a budget meal. Right. Pureed beans and bread. <laughs> It doesn't sound that great now that we're talking no, like that. that I'm is good. really underselling this soup right now. It's one of my kids' favorites. It's very delicious. Oh, and it is in that cookbook that I mentioned. Oh. Oh, yeah. It's a little it's bonus a plug little, right there. little bonus. It's really good. I have kind of an interesting dilemma that okay. I have heard from friends of mine who are married and have kids that struggle with picky kids. Okay. You tell me what you think about this, Dave, as, as my spouse. So sometimes... When the woman serves the meal, and I'm just telling you this story as I've heard it from them. Okay. The husband sits down and says, oh, we're having this or, or something to that effect. Oh, I was really hoping it was going to be pizza. And then the kids pick up on that. And then the kids are a little disrespectful. Let's say to the person that prepared the meal. Now, this could be any combination of people or maybe the husband did the cooking. Maybe the wife is sitting down complaining. I don't know. But in this scenario and the spouse or partner is undermining the cook and the kids are picking up on it and using that as ammunition to be brats. How would you go about handling that situation? Am I on the receiving end? You let's say let's say you're being the butt. I'm being the butt. Yeah, you're being the... How do, I, how do I want to be treated? How do you want to be treated by me? Because I'm very frustrated and I don't even want to make dinner for my family anymore because everyone hates it and it's a waste of my time. I, I want to say here's my first knee-jerk reaction to that question. You take it offline. You wait till the meal is over Okay. and you're not upset. Mm -hmm. Wait for it to calm down. But you have to have a conversation, I think, as, a, as partners, as spouses, to... To say you've got to be each other's biggest fan. Yes. I never, I don't think I've ever done anything like that to any meal that you've done. Not in front of the kids, no. No. No, I may have told you that there that meal wasn't quite what I wanted or it was like it could have been improved a little bit mm -hmm. this or that way. But like I've never been like, oh, you're making this. Maybe. I, th I think that gives the kids permission to be complainers. Yeah. It's uh, lead which, by example. Here. Which is not helpful at all. I think this would go a long way. You tell me what you think. This is my first reaction. You're right. Wait for the dinner to be over. Do it later. But I would probably go to my partner. I would go to you and say, I need your help. I'm really stressed out. I'm having a hard time with the dinners. I really need to hand it over to you for a week. 
I need to not make dinner for a week. So you're in charge. You pick the dinners, you shop for the dinners, you make the dinners. Let's revisit in a week. Like I need, I need you to do this for me, for my sanity. How would that go over for you? Well, when we were younger, I'll tell you what would have happened is it would have been a lot lower quality, <laughs> faster and more expensive. Okay. Yeah. And if you had actually like brought all of that stuff to me a week later and been like, listen, are you tired of having burritos for the fifth night? It definitely would have been a lot of burritos. It, this is what it would have been. I can tell you right now. It would have been tacos, then burritos, then taco soup, <laughs> then burrito rice bowls. And then it would have been homemade fries with homemade fry sauce and marinated chicken sandwiches. That's what the meal plan would have been. It would have been like my repertoire was not big. <laughs> That's okay. But I'm saying if I had come to you as your partner and say, I really need this from you. Yeah. Would you have said no way, Jose? Or would your heart have been softened and been like, oh, okay, I'm hearing my partner now. I can see that going both ways for some people. Think? Yeah. It's so hard. You never know where you're going to be at that day Yeah. as a spouse. If you've been super stressed, I just hope that if you have that conversation that we're on the same team, you realize you cannot undermine your spouse's ability to be in the kitchen, especially if you want them to continue. Like You're trying to build them up in the kitchen because you want to benefit from those meals, from those skills for years to come. And honestly, like I know that I'm not a good cook. I knew that I wasn't a good cook. I could cook a couple things the way that I liked them, but that's just the way that I like them doesn't necessarily mean that's the best way. Right. I really have enjoyed your cooking skills in the kitchen and it, it's made a huge difference in my life period. So, and my mom was pretty good about pointing this out to me when I was a kid, like, don't do that. Okay, you bring up your mom, and I think this is so fascinating because... Well, let me clarify what my mom said. Okay, okay, go ahead and do that. My mom was pretty poignant when we first got married to say, hey, you should be very careful about what you say to your wife when she cooks you dinner. You know what she said to you that I think is the best advice she ever gave? What's this that? is so good. She said to you, I don't know if you remember this. She said, don't ever come home from work and ask your wife what she did all day. <laughs> I remember that one. <laughs> that was brilliant. And you never have. No. Like, I don't know why that one sunk in so well, but you never have. Even when, like, I was home with the kids and I didn't even get dressed that day. And I'm pretty sure I didn't brush my hair. And you found half-eaten bags of Twizzlers in the pantry that I was trying to hide from you. You found anyway. You never. And what did I say? You said, did you have a bad day? What can I do for you? <laughs> it was the best. Because I knew. I knew I was like, he has to be thinking something bad. I'm not an idiot. Like, come on. But you never, ever made me feel bad. And I just think that was brilliant. Your mom has really had some brilliant advice. So your mom is super interesting because she is a self-proclaimed bad cook. She has no sense of smell, never has ever. So she cannot taste really different flavors. She can taste sweet. She can taste very salty and spice tingles. So to her, food is textures. Like she doesn't like tomatoes because they're slimy and she loves raw carrots because they're crunchy, but she has no concept of flavors. Mm -hmm. So trying to feed a family of five kids and a husband without that ability, I can't even imagine how hard that would have been to try and tackle that. So you grew up, I would say, with a pretty limited palate. Yeah. Dad did mostly. Well, dad did a lot of cooking. But whenever my dad cooked, it was meat and potatoes. Well, I mean, 
who who doesn't love that? It was good. <laughs> I love meat and potatoes. My dad can cook some good meat and potatoes. He has grilled quite the quality steak. I, I will give him that for yeah, sure. For sure. When he's like, I'm just going to do some steaks. I'm like, yes, sign me up for the steaks. <laughs> but yeah, my mom really struggled with it, with cooking she, just because of all those factors. But one thing that my mom did brilliantly is when my mom went back to school when I was in high school, she recruited my sisters mm -hmm. to take turns cooking dinners. And what ages were they? They were um, young. They were probably 14, 13, probably ages 10 to 15. Like 10, when we thir started. 13, 15, like that? Yeah, somewhere in there. Mm -hmm. And so they all did a pretty good job at getting those, those opportunities. In all fairness, I probably should have been asked to cook more meals, but I was also working so you were 16 at a restaurant. And, and you were out working, so you weren't home. Yeah, so. I wasn't home a lot. So, I mean, we have two teenagers that work, so a lot of the times they're just not home. They're yeah. not here. So it's hard to get them to help when they're just gone at, yeah. at their things. If I could just say, sometimes with these matters, you have to be patient. Yeah, it's it's so hard to hear when you're in the midst of the frustration and, and exhaustion of dealing with this every meal. Like, it's not something you can ever put away because it's always there. I was kind of hinting at it earlier when I was talking about it gets better. When I really think about the nights and weekends that we had with the kids with meals that didn't go well, there were some pretty stressful nights. I don't think about them anymore. No, not they, at all. They melted away. Mm -hmm. When I sit down here and I really try, really try hard to think about what we did and nights that we had, I, I can think back to some of the stressful nights of weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. <laughs> but it, it gets better. And so I would say the more you can be patient and not just lose your temper every night because somebody won't eat something, I think the better off it will be. Yeah. I think you said some great things there. I mean, in some cases you just have to let it go. Like if they're not going to eat the, I don't know, whatever for Andrew, it was any kind of meat that wasn't ground beef, chicken, steak, pork. He just, cause he didn't, he didn't want to chew it. Like he just had to chew it forever. Do you remember that? I think just trust the the strategy, trust the process that we've described today, right? Mm -hmm. All the different strategies that you've given. If you trust those over years, it will take years. And it, it's, it's like an, it's like an IV drip. Yes. Yes. It's not a fire hose. It's very slow. It's consistency over a very long period of time. And I'd say as parents dealing with kids, the parents have to be on the same page also yeah you can't have one parent undermining the other or not having the same end goal because it's just going to create more tension and can i also say parenting is very hard it's it's like the hardest thing i've ever done it's and it just doesn't end like it's picky kids when they're little it's dealing with teenager complex issues when they're older it doesn't ever end it's also one of the most rewarding things i've ever done yeah and for those of you that are really struggling with the picky kids and it just feels like it's never going to end, it will. Like one day you'll look up and be like, wow, my kids eat most things now. Or they're making their own breakfast and, and they're taking turns at dinner and the burden has been eased and you almost don't even know when it happened. Or they'll move out and you won't know anymore. <laughs> and, and then they'll move out. <laughs> you won't think about it. And, and the hands have been washed clean of the responsibility from then on. <laughs> Okay, so let's recap some key points here. Patience. For sure. Try over and over and over again. Different preparation methods. Have them take ownership of the meals. Hold firm boundaries and expectations of the kids. 
be compassionate and understanding your partner and you have to be on the same page. Do not make a different dinner. I think that's the biggest problem that will undermine all the progress that you've made is if they throw a fit and you give in, the child will learn that if they throw a fit, you will give in. That's what they learn. Mm -hmm. They learn if I throw a big enough fit, if I cry long enough, they will give me what I want. And that is so hard to be consistent on, but matters so much. Mm -hmm. Those are our takes on smaller food. Oh yeah. Smaller veg, smaller sizes, smaller sizes can go a long way. Okay. So those are our takes on dealing with picky kids and picky partners. The podcast we talked about with E.C. Sinkowski and Patrick, I'll leave that in the show notes for you. If you want to go check them out, they're all about nutrition. It's really fascinating. A lot of science. A lot of science. If you're into that kind of thing, you want to dig in. 600 gram challenge. That's what she's known for. I think it's 800. There's two. She has two challenges. two. Oh my gosh. I need to re-listen. And one more time, this episode is brought to you by my frugal family mini cookbook. Just a couple bucks. My family's favorite meals. I'm very confident that your family will love them as well. Just a couple bucks on my website, frugalfitbomb.com slash shop. And we'll talk soon.